You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Episode 172, Car Audio. Greetings and salutations, listeners, and welcome to another episode of You Don't Know Flack. Today is March 8th, 2016, and I am your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. On today's episode of You Don't Know Flack, we will be talking about car audio. Now, I've stored this week's notes in my expanded RAM module on my Commodore 64, which doesn't take too much time to uh, load or access, so we'll have to be pretty brief on this week's loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Well, hello, and welcome back to another episode of You Don't Know Flack. I think everyone who listened to episode 171 will be glad to know that the Men in Black released me. It appeared to be some sort of misunderstanding, and uh, they they were actually quite friendly. We went out for drinks later, and everybody uh, had a good time, at least so I'm told. I, I don't seem to have any memory of the incident. Um, but uh, it's been a good couple of weeks since then. I hit my... First word goal for the novel that I'm working on for school right now, our first goal for the first half of the semester is 25,000 words with an overall goal of 50,000. So I hit uh, 25,000 words over the weekend. If you're following along over at write.robohara.com, I've been posting some little updates. I haven't really updated that too much lately, and I haven't updated my blog lately just because I've, I've been so busy with school and work and everything else that it just seems like, uh, some of the extracurricular writing has tailed off a little bit lately. I did put a little bit of time, uh, over the weekend working on my ANSI viewer. I say mine, this is a project that I've been working on that, uh, someone else already did all the work, uh, a fellow named Syruk, uh, that is S A I R U K. And I believe on Twitter, it's S-A-I-R-U-K-A-U, as in Australia, came up with a script to view ANSI files uh, on a Raspberry Pi. By default, it's designed to rotate your monitor 90 degrees. So you, you turn your monitor in a, a portrait configuration, and it will randomly select. Uh, you can either put them now, the latest version will allow you to put them in a zip file. So if you just want to download art packs from the nineties and put them in a directory, or you can uh, extract the individual ANSI files, however you want to do it and put them in there. But what this basically does is boot up your raspberry Pi, randomly select one of those ANSI files and display them. It simulates modem speeds. I think by default, it's at 56 K, but I have mine slowed all the way down to, uh, 9,600 baud because that's the way I like to view them. I like them to slowly draw their way down the screen. So it shows each file. It pauses for a few seconds and then it randomly selects the next one. My goal is to put this in some sort of frame that I can mount on the wall where I just have a power cord coming out of it that I can plug into the wall and, uh, and watch it go. I love it. Uh, it was very easy to follow his, uh, instructions that he wrote on his website. It's uh, his website is mameau.com, but I'll put a link in the show notes to this particular article. Uh, if I have any friends or listeners out there who can help troubleshoot his script, the name of the script is Pi Ans, like ANSI, A-N-S. And there are, there are a couple of quirks in the script where not all ANSI files are displayed properly. And he is looking for someone who can help troubleshoot the script. So if you have any uh, troubleshooting skills like that, or if you are you know, wanting to support a project like that, spread the word and help us make that 100% uh, accurate. But I, I got to tell you, it has made just setting this thing up. And we're talking, I used a monitor that I had out in the garage, uh, a Raspberry Pi that I had laying around that I wasn't using. I installed a... Uh, Raspian on it. I followed his uh, 
Oh, his instructions on his website, which took me about 10 to 15 minutes to get up and running. Uh, I put a wireless NIC inside the Raspberry Pi so that I could putty into it and uh, move files back and forth so I didn't have to, you know, unplug things. I could just leave it hanging on the wall. But, I mean, I have less than 30 minutes worth of work total, I think, in this. Uh, and, again, I, I didn't do any of the work. This guy uh, came up with everything, and I just implemented, you know, what he designed. But I got to tell you, just watching this thing, just having it sitting there on my desk running all day long makes my day better. I work from home, and during the day, this thing is constantly displaying old art pictures, and I love it. I absolutely love it. So uh, I will, uh, like I said, I'll throw a link in the show notes if you want to see it in action see what it looks like. And if you can help out with the troubleshooting of a couple of quirks in that script, that would be greatly appreciated. Uh, I also wanted to give a shout out to, uh, uh, one of my Twitter followers, Nicholas, I believe his last name is Malo. Uh, and you know, I have a long running history with mispronouncing people's names. Uh, but Nicholas wins the honorary award of listening to, you don't know, flack on the most retro hardware. It looks to me, based on his YouTube video, that he uh, recorded parts of You Don't Know Flack out onto a reel-to-reel tape. And so he has a video on YouTube of him playing back You Don't Know Flack on a reel-to-reel tape. And now he has uh, the same thing going through what looks to be a vintage uh, uh, power, like a tuner, you know, with the EQ and stuff built in. It's really cool stuff. So uh, thank you, Nicholas, for the video. And no matter how... Anyone listens to You Don't Know Flack. Anyway, whatever way works best for you is okay with me, but I thought the video was really cool. So, The uh, show notes have long since loaded from my uh, REU on the 64. It's very fast access. So uh, let me just mention that if you have any feedback about this episode or any other episode of the show in general, you can email your feedback to me at robohara at robohara.com. Drop me a message on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash you don't know flack. Follow me on Twitter at Commodork or leave me a voice message on the podcast hotline, which is area code 405-486-YDKF. So with that, let's get started talking about this week's topic, car audio. So the setting for this story, I guess I would start off by saying that I graduated high school in 1991. So this takes uh, place a few years before that, I would say. I was pretty early um, interested in breakdancing, and and that was probably my first real exposure to rap music that would have come from the Breakin' soundtrack, the Beat Street soundtrack, uh, Herbie Hancock's Rocket was popular at the time. So that's probably my earliest exposure to rap music. And from there, I was exposed to the Fat Boys. I had a friend who shared the Fat Boys with me, uh, another friend who shared Run DMC with me. And uh, so I was pretty early into that stuff. LL Cool J pretty early on. And then, of course, along with the rest of uh, uh, Middle America, I suppose, caught on with the Beastie Boys uh, whenever uh, they came out. So, so, uh, you know, I always liked rock and roll, hair metal, heavy metal. I was always into that. Uh, I had a friend who got me into, I guess what you would call, uh, oh, not new wave necessarily, but, uh, alternative music like the cure and, and love and rockets and, and, uh, Bauhaus and that kind of stuff. Uh, and then I had my other friends who were really into rap. So I was pretty well-rounded, I guess, as far as, uh, musical taste go. But in the late eighties, I, I believe in 1988, um, we had this new wave of rap music coming out, um, known as gangster rap. We had the straight out of Compton, uh, NWA's debut album. That was 1988. We have easy ease, uh, easy does it, which is also 1988. A little bit before that, we have the two live crew, uh, and then we have Sir Mix-a-Lot. So this is all coming out at this time, you know, 88, uh, you know, give or take a little bit. But this is kind of changing the uh, the face uh, of rap for me. Um, I, I still listen to it, but it was different. You know, the things like the Fat Boys and, and um, 
Run DMC. I mean, Run DMC had some serious uh, topics, you know, that they covered in their lyrics, but a lot of it was was pretty lighthearted, and, and this stuff was was definitely a change as far as that goes. Um, but uh, Sir Mix a Lot and his hit song uh, "My Posse's on Broadway" musically is a very simple song. It's just uh, you know a very light drum beat with this uh, really electronic, heavy hitting bass. Uh, and anybody that's ever listened to the song knows the boom, 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 you know, that uh, uh, kind of made it so recognizable and was copied by so many uh, other bands throughout the years. Uh, but that song, the drum beat behind it was done on a Roland TR-808 rhythm composer, more commonly referred to as uh, an 808 drum machine. And he even references it in the song about how the uh, 808 kick drum makes the girlies get numb, <laughs> uh, which sounds really silly for a middle-aged white guy to be repeating. But uh, that was the first time I had heard the term 808. I didn't know what a 808 uh, necessarily was, but I knew that it had something to do with his sound. And we heard uh, other artists, you know, using that same technology that would have, uh, you know, later on we would... I would find out about the 303 and the 808 and the 909 and all these different drum machines that had uh, unique sounds. And when people used them, it gave their music a unique sound. But uh, uh, then in the early 90s, all of a sudden there were all these bands that weren't necessarily rapping, but they just had that style of music. I and mean, we had um, a friend of mine introduced me to... Uh, he had a tape called Techmaster P.E.B. We used to drive around listening to that. There was Bass Boy, which I think was maybe related to Techmaster. Um, Dynamics 2 was a big one that I listened to at the time. And um, there, there was even some that did have some light rapping, like Nemesis had a song called Munchies for Your Bass. But these were... Um, not focused on the rapping or the lyrics at all. These were focused on the music and more importantly, the bass, uh, you know, that you could get into your system. I just looked into, uh, I actually used to, to buy a bunch of these cassettes and I was looking through my list of cassettes and CDs that I've owned. I have, uh, albums from bass automator, bass citation, bass creations, bass cube, bass master funk, Base Mechanic, Base Nation, Base Outlaws, Base Patrol, Base Quest, Base Rider, Base Trip, Base Tube, and uh, Base Under. So there was uh, <laughs> lots of bands coming out right at this time, all capitalizing on this new thing, which was uh, people wanting to listen to uh, just bass. Now, I have a very specific memory of being in Mr. Schultz's math class in 11th grade. Mr. Schultz was standing at the front of the room. Uh, this was uh, either honors uh, trigonometry or honors analytic geometry. He taught both classes. And we were, so we were in there and we were taking notes and Mr. Schultz was teaching. And all of a sudden the window of the classroom started vibrating. Just this little light buzz, buzz, buzz. And slowly we began to look at the window and it got louder and louder and we looked outside and there was a fellow, I believe his name was Rick, and he had a, he was the first person I, I at our school, I'm pretty sure, that had a lowered pickup truck. He had a lowered Nissan pickup truck. And as he got closer and closer, this the bass coming out of his car just got louder and louder. And um, this could have been 89, uh, sometime either in 89 or 1990, but... Um, this was uh, the first, what I would just call a, a straight up, you know, like a boom car <laughs> uh, that I had ever seen, you know, in my neck of the woods in my, uh, you know, at my school or something. And uh, I just thought it was the coolest thing, you know. And so I decided that I definitely wanted to make my car do that same thing. Now, my first car that I owned was a 1979 Mustang. That was the first year of the newer Fox body style. So if you're familiar with uh, like a Mustang GT from the 80s, it looked like that 
without all the uh, ground effects added to it or the rear spoiler. It was white. Um, and it was a hatchback. And so, uh, the, the rear speakers were all busted up and, and you had to take the, the plastic off the hatchback part to get to the speakers. I, I couldn't figure out how to do that. So, uh, I bought two Jensen six by nines, I think from Walmart. And I made this little metal box out in my dad's garage from some spare wood and put it in the, the hatch. I ran wires back to it. And, and that was my first little speaker box, I guess, in the back of my Mustang. I mean, obviously it didn't sound like these other guys that had, you know, big giant subwoofers and stuff, but that was my first stab at, uh, at building a box. And so I, I the whole time I had my Mustang, I had this little box, uh, uh, in the back and, uh, it wasn't until my second car, uh, I had a 1979 Firebird, a formula Firebird with a, a small block 400 in it. I mean, this was a, a crazy car to give a, a 17 year old kid. Boy, did I love it. Uh, and I, I went to the flea market and I bought this box that was, um, it wasn't even carpeted. It was just wood and it had two, uh, subwoofers in it that were, the cones weren't paper. They were plastic. There was like a see-through plastic. Uh, and, and, you know, in retrospect, I'm sure the brand was like, like something from China, you know what I mean? Like some really cheap import speaker. And then I had this, um, a Roadmaster amp, like a little tiny amp that was an EQ and an amp built in that I put under my dash and ran these wire wires all the way back to the speaker box. I didn't have any idea about, um, you know, wiring and Watts and amps and things like that at the time. I mean, this was a hundred watt amp is what that said right on it. Roadmaster hundred Watts. And my neighbor who had one of the loudest stereos I'd ever heard, uh, had a punch 75. So his amp was only 75 Watts. Mine was a hundred and I couldn't figure out why his was so much louder than mine. Of course, mine was, um, uh, a hundred watt peak. And then I think it was, uh, half that. So 50 Watts, uh, RMS, you know, divided by four channels divided by something. I mean, so it was literally, you know, probably less power than the, the stereo in your car has now. It was, it was really pitiful. Um, I would turn it up all the way and the, and the subwoofers wouldn't even move. Uh, you could hear music coming out of it, but uh, you certainly, it wasn't like, uh, all these other car stereos that I wanted to emulate, you know? And the worst part about it was uh, I actually put that box in the trunk and it was so not loud that you couldn't hear it. <laughs> Even when I turned it up, you couldn't hear it from inside the car. So I literally just drove around with this giant speaker box in the rear seats of my car. And, you know, in a, in a uh, old Firebird or Camaro, those type of cars, the transmission runs straight down the middle. So you have like almost two bucket seats in the back with this hump in the middle. So the box was always leaning to one side or the other. When I would turn a corner, it would tilt one way like a giant seesaw <laughs> and tilt the other way. Uh, so I drove around. My friends uh, called me the treble rebel because there was no bass <laughs> coming out of this system at all. So it just, uh, you know, just you could hear voices and guitar, but I certainly didn't have the, the deep bass that some of those other uh, stereos did. Um, I ended up getting rid of that car in one of my uh one of those things you kick yourself for when you're an adult. And, uh, I ended up getting a Yugo. I bought a, well, my parents helped me. We bought a brand new Yugo in 1989, uh, maybe even 1990, but it was a brand new Yugo for 39.95 right off the lot. And it was, uh, an 86 Yugo. So it had sat, unsold for three or four years on the lot and they were just trying to get rid of them. And so I got this Yugo and I came home. And of course the very first thing I did the first weekend was a friend of mine had a pickup and we went to the lumber store and I bought a four by eight sheet of plywood, which isn't even the type of wood you should really use for a stereo box. And I built this big giant box that would fit, you know, take up the whole hatchback area. I remember my parents came home. They were like at the store and my dad came home. He's like, what are you doing? You know? And, and, you know, at the time I was like, Hey, this is my car. I can do what I want to with it. And it's my car. They were paying for it, you know? Um, 
But now looking back, I'm like, what was I doing? Like, why was that my first concern was to build a giant box and put these, you know, big speakers in it again? I had no real good amplifier, so they they didn't, uh, uh, you know, have the same power or or uh, uh, attack that that all my friends had in theirs. In fact, the 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 first litmus test of having a loud stereo at that time was everybody hung their graduation tassel from the rearview mirror. So if your stereo wasn't loud enough to either move the tassel or vibrate your rearview mirror, then it was nothing. And my stereos were nothing. I mean, I would turn them up all the way and I could hear the music, but they wouldn't, uh, you know, shake the car like all these other ones. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I had that Yugo. I actually ended up total. I, I, someday I'll do a, a podcast about every car that I've totaled, <laughs> which would be a quite long, uh, list uh, between that and, and incidents with the law. That would be a long podcast, but, uh, uh, I, I ended up wrecking the Yugo. It didn't take much of an impact for it to be totaled. And, uh, so we got rid of that. And then I drove a motorcycle for a while, but even though I had a motorcycle, man, I still had the, uh, uh, the urge, you know, to, to build a great car stereo. I would go to the flea market. That was where we did most of our car audio shopping because we couldn't afford to go to the real places. You know, there was a place called uh, audio Midwest and you went there and, and speakers were a hundred dollars each, you know, and then at the flea market, they'd be 25. So we would say, well, you know, they're both, they're round, they're black. They look the same. Why don't we just get them at the flea market? And then we would end up with this uh, you know, really generic crap that was, that was awful. Um, and I, I had a friend, I remember I had a friend that had this, uh, well, this is like a friend of a friend that had a, a pretty decent stereo. And I told him, you know, that, uh, once I got a car, I was looking for, uh, you know, a new stereo. And he told me, he said, well, you tell me what you want and I've got friends that will just steal it, you know? And that made such this impact on me at the time that I had no idea. I mean, I just thought people randomly stole things, but this was like an entire, like a business, like, Hey, if you want to order this, I know people that will go steal it and then you can buy it, you know, for really cheap. And I, uh, it really bothered me at the time. And later on when people stole my stereos, uh, it's hard not to, not to take that stuff personally, but you know that it's just a business. It's people stealing stuff and passing it on to other people. So I, I never did that. Um, of course, I wouldn't do that anyway. I didn't want to uh, be involved in any of that. But I, I didn't want to for two reasons. One, well, for a lot of reasons. But morally, of course, you don't want to do that. But on a deeper level, it's like if you're buying stolen stereo equipment, that means you're, you're keeping that, you know, alive. And someday they're, they're going to come looking for your stuff <laughs> to sell it to somebody else. So I didn't want to be involved in that, uh, at all. Now, um, uh, my friends, uh, several of my friends had got jobs at pizza hut. I was working at pizza Inn at the time, but, uh, there was a manager at pizza hut. He was a little bit older than us, like maybe four or five years older than us. And he had, it was either a Mitsubishi Eclipse or a 3000 GT. It might've been a 3000 GT, but it had an amazing stereo in it. That was the first car stereo, uh, like a boom car, you know, like that, that, um, uh, that I actually got to sit in, you know, and, and sit in there and feel that bass just punch you in the gut. Uh, and I just thought it was so cool. We would bring our tapes up to pizza hut and then ask him if we could sit in his car and, and he would play our tapes, you know, so we could listen to what music sounded like in his car. And of course, this guy was a little older, you know, so uh, he wasn't like us working, you know, part time. He had a, a real job and real income so he could afford that stuff. We can afford that stuff, you know. Um, but uh, I would say things began to change. When I purchased this book from Radio Shack, and it was a Radio Shack book on how to build speaker boxes or speaker enclosures, I think is what it was called. And it had plans for every different kind of speaker enclosure that you can think of. The stuff for inside your house, stuff for inside your car, stuff uh, like band pass boxes that would use different um, you know, air links, like whether you wanted it to be ported 
or sealed and just everything. And it had everything in there. And it really, up until that point, we just were kind of guessing. We were like, oh, you just build a box and put speakers in it and that makes it louder. But we didn't understand any of the actual science behind building uh, speaker boxes. So, and I, I had two best friends at the time. Well, uh, I, my friend Justin, but he, he didn't live uh, near me, but uh, in, in school, Jeff and Andy. And Jeff is an electronics wizard. He went to Votech for electronic repair. He could fix anything. He could solder anything to anything and unsolder things. And uh, so Jeff is my go-to guy for electronics. Andy had spent all this time learning woodworking so he could build any of this stuff, you know. So it kind of became this this three-way triangle where Jeff could wire anything, uh, Andy could, uh, you know, do anything with woodworking, and then I would come up with the idea and fund it. <laughs> so I would be the guy that would say, hey, listen, I want to build, you know, this thing that this Frankenstein stereo system, and they would they would be in, you know. So I would buy the parts, and we would put it together, and I would buy pizza or, or drinks or whatever, you know, and, and that's, uh, you know, how... That's actually how the stereo in my Ford Festiva came to be. So I'd driven a motorcycle for a while, and I had a doom buggy <laughs> that I drove for a while. And I ended up getting a Ford Festiva. And, uh, you know, my parents told me, if you take care of this thing, it gets really good gas mileage. It'll run for a long time. Just don't tear it up. I was like, yes, I, I agree. We are not going to tear this up. And uh, I think the minute they got out of earshot, one of the first things I did was took out the back seat and uh, stuck it in my closet. And I told my my buddies, I was like, we're going to build a car stereo system. And, and actually, um, I don't remember if I had this, huh, I don't remember if I had the Festiva when I graduated. But within a year or so of graduation, I definitely had uh, the Festiva. And uh, so we took the back seat out of it and... I started drawing all these crazy ideas for a speaker box. Like I just wanted to feel the whole hatchback, the whole back of this car with speakers. I would design boxes with, you know, 50 speakers, <laughs> just all these things, these ideas on paper, you know? And so we finally came up with, um, this design that would have like four subwoofers on the top and a, a sloping area on the front for some mids and some other, some tweeters. And then the speakers in the front we, Now I didn't have enough money to, to pay for all this. In, in fact, at the beginning, all I had was uh, uh, two subwoofers and then those same uh, speakers that had been in the Mustang and uh, whatever the stock uh, speakers were up front for the, the Festiva. So we, we, um, Went to Jeff's house. We took all this wood over there, and Andy cut all the wood up, and we built this box, and I put these subwoofers in there, and, and um, you know, I finally bought a, a decent amp that would push these speakers, and so we did our, our first test, you know? And so I got out one of these bass cassettes that I had collected, and and we turned it up. You know, we rolled the windows up. We got outside of the car first, and we turned it up, and the whole outside of the car just started shaking uh, to, to the beat, you know? So as the speakers were just booming away, the top of the car was vibrating. I remember Andy put a, um, empty Coke can on top of the car and it would just vibrate until it knocked it over and it would roll off the car. I mean, the top of the car was vibrating that much. Now that's not really saying a whole lot. I don't think, uh, you know, Ford Festiva is built with quarter inch steel or anything, but, um, as this was going on, Jeff said, Hey, come around here to the front. And I came around to the front and there was a small crack in my windshield. And every time the base hit, the crack would grow a little bit. And any logical person would have turned the stereo off at that point. But we thought it was so funny that <laughs> we just let it keep going. And we watched this crack grow all the way across my windshield. So, uh, finally I had, now there, this, this thing didn't have great sound quality, but it was loud. Uh, it was definitely loud. And, and in fact, the box in the back was shifting around, not, I don't think necessarily from the base, but as we drove around. And so we ended up uh, cutting holes in the bottom and we used the, the holes where the seatbelt mounts had been. And Andy put bolts through the box to, to bolt the box down so it wouldn't move around and vibrate and, and all these things. Uh, and I also bought uh, from a pawn shop a car alarm. It was called a Magic Genie 
car alarm. And it was two or three parts. There was part that hooked to your car horn uh, and the part that you armed, you know, with your remote and all that. But there was another part to it, a part that went in the back and it used radio waves um, so you could leave your windows down. And if someone stuck their hand in through the window, it would go off, which we thought was the coolest thing. So I would, you know, go to the store and leave my windows down and arm the alarm. And people would say, Oh, don't, aren't you worried about people stealing your car? I'm like, ho ho, you know? And, and then I'd say, stick your hand through the window and it would go off. Now I would leave this giant uh, cassette bag that I had in the car that had 60 cassettes. Somebody could have easily reached in there and grabbed it and run, but I would never thought about that. I just thought, oh, the alarm would go off. And so, you know, if that had happened, I would have come out and, and found a car with the alarm going off and no cassettes, which is kind of stupid. Uh, but anyway, um, this was around the time that uh, I started buying a few CDs and I had a CD Walkman. So I would put it in the car. I would put a, a pillow or a t-shirt folded up and put the CD Walkman on top of it and drive around. And, uh, you know, when I would turn up the bass, it would vibrate the CD player and it would make it just skip like crazy. So, uh, it didn't really work for listening to this kind of music. I had to use, uh, cassettes because it just vibrated everything in the car. Now, again, this, this wasn't professional quality. It wasn't a good sound quality and it wasn't nearly as loud as a lot of these other people's car stereos were, but it was mine, you know, and, and I drove around and people would say, Oh, the guy with the, the loud Festiva, you know? And so anyway, my buddies and I would go to these car stereo competitions. I, I wouldn't compete, but we would just see what other people were doing. I remember seeing minivans where people had walled off the whole back of the minivan and just mounted speakers there and cars, you know, just with crazy, uh, installations of speakers and crazy loud stuff. And I loved going to those and watching those type of competitions and looking at all the cars, like actual, you know, I like going to car shows, but there are different kinds. There are car shows where you go to look at old cars that people have fixed up and done, you know, amazing things with the bodywork and the paint. But there were car shows that showed off car stereos and, and custom interiors and stuff. And that's the ones that, that I really liked going to, you know, and, and I would, um, buy magazines like mini trucking. I remember, and, uh, I would look at, you know, other custom installs and I would draw, I would always have paper, graph paper. And I would draw, you know, I was going to someday own a, a pickup and build a box in the whole bed and have four subwoofers down each side, you know, <laughs> just all these crazy ideas that I wanted to do. In fact, um, I had, uh, at least, I guess two friends that had done a conversion that you could do on your truck, which was called a walkthrough, which, uh, you put a, a camper shell, like a snug top on the back of a pickup. And then you cut out the rear of the truck cab and the front of the bed so that you could literally go all the way through into the truck. So, I mean, essentially inside, it looked like a minivan, you know, uh, outside it looked like a truck with a, a camper shell on it. And, you know, they would do that. And, and then, uh, uh, fill those things with speakers, you know? So, I mean, there was all kinds of stuff. And I, I gotta tell you, I was just with my stereo system and my Festiva, I was just happy as a clam, you know, I drive around, turn it up all the time, annoy people, drive through neighborhoods with it cranked up. And I, I was just having a great time. I was, uh, as I said, I was working at pizza Inn at the time. And, uh, I remember one night I came out after work, I came around the building. We parked on the side of the building and I, the first thought I had was, I don't remember parking in that much broken glass. And then I realized what had happened. And I looked and the window was busted out of the Festiva. Uh, all my tapes were gone. My 60 thing of uh, cassette tapes. I think I talked about that on the cassette tape uh, episode. That's when I started basically buying only CDs was after this. Um, they had taken... Uh, all of my speakers, they had undone, like unhooked them and taken them. They left the box because the box was bolted uh, inside the car, but they had taken my amp. They had taken the stereo. Uh, and probably the most insulting thing was they stole my car stereo or my uh, car alarm. They had physically ripped the car alarm out. So bye-bye, Magic Genie. <laughs> um, and this was in 1993. This made me so mad. 
And by the way, if you've ever had a car stereo stolen, you immediately suspect everybody. Uh, and the weekend before, I had taken it my car to the lake, and I had run into a coworker uh, who was not a bright person. I mean, it, and I don't mean that lightly. <laughs> I mean, literally, this is a, a Forrest Gump level type guy who had aspired to someday be a pizza delivery guy. And uh, he mentioned at the lake, he said something to the effect of, man, what kind of alarm do you have on that? You know, and I uh, hope nobody ever steals it. And then a week later, you know, it's stolen at the place where I worked with that guy. Uh, was he behind it? I don't know. I always suspected him, but really it was parked in a bad part of town where I drove around all the time with it turned up as loud as it would go. So it really, I've narrowed it down to about 10,000 people, but, uh, he's on the list. <laughs> so he's one of the 10,000, uh, that it could be. This incident made me so mad that I didn't think about car stereos again for probably, uh, five years in, uh, 1998, so this was in 93 when that got stolen. In 1998, I bought a Chevy Astro minivan uh, with the intention of turning it into a car stereo competition type vehicle. Uh, I bought four uh, Punch XLC subwoofers. I bought an amp. Uh, and so I had fully intended on turning this into a car stereo competition vehicle. Unfortunately, this car, this uh, minivan had some issues. It had some electrical issues. I remember one time I turned on the air conditioner and I just heard a pop and smoke started coming out from the dash. Uh, the, the speedometer quit working at some point. The gas or the fuel gauge quit working at some point. The lights never worked except for sometimes they did. <laughs> and it had just had so many electrical problems. I don't know if it had been, if, you know, somebody tried to restore it. I, I don't know what the deal was, but it definitely had issues and I just wasn't willing to, uh, troubleshoot all the issues. And I wasn't willing to put a bunch of expensive audio equipment into a car that, that obviously had electrical issues. So, uh, and then that's the van I was driving that broke down, uh, that, uh, almost killed me when I got hit by a car. So, <laughs> which is another podcast topic someday. Uh, so I got rid of the van and I had all this equipment that I had purchased, but I, I, you know, just took it back out. I mean, I never installed it. I, it was just sitting in boxes and stuff and I just left it in the garage, you know? Now my wife was pregnant with Mason, uh, our son in 2001. And I don't know if this is like a not, it's not a midlife crisis. It's not a, anything like that. But I just remember friends telling me like, you know, by the time you have kids, your life is dedicated to the kids. You don't really have time for yourself anymore for your own projects. And that's not true. It is true for a while. Um, it's pretty true <laughs> when they're little and, uh, your life really revolves around them. Now my life just revolves around driving them everywhere they want to go. But, um, but I just thought, you know, if I ever wanted to do this, like a car stereo, I don't know why at that time I got, you know, because uh, this had been a long time since uh, this was, you know, 2001. But I decided, um, well, you know what, what was um, my buddy Andy and I went to a car stereo competition at this place called Toys for Big Boys. It was in Edmond. It was not far from my house. And. Uh, there were some impressive car stereos at this thing. And then they said, we're going to bring out some of our own vehicles. And they brought out a Honda CRX. If you remember the Honda CRX, it was a two seater car. The whole back was just, uh, you know, an open hatchback. And this thing had two 18 inch subwoofers. I don't think I had ever seen an 18 inch subwoofer at that point. And the top, the hood of the car, they had kind of custom made, it was a rack that held 24 car batteries, and then they had built up, um, like, I guess with Bondo or something, uh, you know, extended the roof of the car to where it kind of covered the sides, and it was all, the whole thing was primer. The windshield was not glass. It was plexiglass. They had replaced it with a metal reinforcement and a metal strip that went down the middle. Uh, so they wheeled this thing out. They closed the doors and they took six inch bolts and they put them in where normally the door locks would be. And there were guys with ratchets that ratcheted 
the doors close and uh, they said, you know, all right, everybody stand back, let it rip. And they just turned this on. And this thing emitted a tone that tickled my stomach so hard that I thought I was going to throw up. I mean, it was literally one of the loudest. It was, you know, it's probably to this day the loudest stereo car stereo that I ever saw. Now, this car was not really drivable. I remember they had a plastic lawn chair inside there or maybe a little stool that they sat on to steer as somebody pushed it around. So uh, it wasn't like a driver, and I've never been into that kind. There is a, a, a complete category of car stereo competitors of cars that are not drivable. That doesn't interest me at all because then it's just you know a speaker box built inside of a car, which a lot of the ones that are drivable are too. But uh, if it's not, if it doesn't function as a car, then I think we've really got away from the point of why we're doing this. Um, but uh, it literally felt like somebody had punched me. I mean, just when this CRX, when those uh, subwoofers started vibrating, I felt sick to my stomach. And I think that's probably, you know, what planted the seed was, man, I, I just, I really want to do this, you know? So, my wife was seven months pregnant. We were getting ready to have our first child. We were painting the nursery. Um, we were doing all these things, getting ready for the next phase of our lives. And as she was sitting on the couch, miserable, I said, hey, uh, I'm going to be back. I'm going to go buy a, a geo tracker." And my wife's like, what? And I said, yeah, you know, I've always wanted one of these little Jeep looking things and I'm going to go buy one. And she was like, what? (laughs) Like, this is not what we need to be doing with our lives right now. We had um, two cars, you know, we each had a car. Um, But uh, I was like, yeah, I think that's what I'm going to go do. And so that's what I did. (laughs) I went and bought a geo tracker for $2,000. It had 120,000 miles on it. And the uh, check engine light was on the whole time I owned it. I don't know what the problem was, but uh, it had a red light on on the dash. In fact, I put a black piece of electrical tape over where that light was just so I didn't have to look at it the whole time. Uh, But it was $2,000, and uh, I brought it home and decided this was going to be my my one shot at building a, you know, honest-to-goodness boom car, whatever you want to call it. So, uh... The first thing I did was, uh, let's see, what did I do first? Well, I went and got uh, wheels and tires because that was important. You know, you can't have a, a good car stereo competition car without good rims on it and tires. And so I took it to a local place and uh, bought these mags, uh, these rims for it. And I put 50 series tires on it because that's what Sir Mix-a-Lot had in uh, my posse's on Broadway is 50 series tires. Uh, so, uh, so I did that. And I ordered a hard top. It had a soft top. It was a soft top convertible. And I knew that uh, you wouldn't be able to get the kind of sound pressure inside there with a soft top. So I ordered a hard top. And my dad and I uh, spent a weekend and, and installed the hard top. There is two pieces, one for the back part. And then there was like a almost like where a roll bar should be, but it was part of the frame of the car. And then the uh, uh, front part, you know, uh, so it was like almost like a, a one piece uh, target top for the front. Uh, so we put on the hard top. I wanted it lowered. And so I went over to Andy's house and said, how can we make this lower? And he said, oh, well, you can buy replacement this and that. You can change the." And I was like, no, 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 that all sounds like money. How can I do it for free? And so there were uh, two or three ways to lower a car, especially one with uh, uh, spring uh, coils like mine. Uh, you could um, heat them up. That was one technique. You could heat them up with a, a torch and then have people sit on your car. And then when it, you know, so it would, uh, when they cooled off and they hardened, it would be lower. You, so you would still have a suspension. It would just be less of a suspension as what you originally had. Uh, you could take out your coil springs and cut them in half, uh, which is what we did later. Or you can remove them so that your car has no suspension and it turns it into a big giant go-kart uh, and so that's what we did because that got it really low. I mean, it looked great. I drove around and people would say, wow, look at that low rider, uh, geo tracker. And I would wave and in my center console, uh, in the drink holder, I had a thing of Doan's back pills that I would constantly, uh, that or aspirin. I would take them all the time because my back was killing me. I mean, I would avoid, uh, when I went to work, I knew which lanes 
were rougher. Like I knew there was a pothole in the middle lane a mile down, but there were cracks on the left lane a mile and a half down. So I would, I literally knew the rough part of all the roads I drove on. I remember one time I drove over a thing of railroad tracks and my car just kind of bounced off the ground and, and I heard the rear tires skidding, you know, as it, as it bounced around. It was a terrible, terribly unsafe, but God, did it look cool. Oh man, <laughs> that's a good looking car. Uh, and so I took it to a, a tent place and the guy was like, well, you know, the darkest uh, tent I could do legally is, is 35% or something. And I was like, well, I want it to be, I don't care what legal is. I want it, you know, like limo tent, like 5%. He goes, okay. And, uh, so I had it limo tinted. I mean, it was just super dark and low and, uh, and I built a stereo box for the back. I'm sure Andy helped me. And we built this giant box, uh, that would hold all four, uh, of the 12 inch subwoofers that I had bought for my, uh, uh, minivan that I never used. And, um, uh, I bought an amp. I bought this, uh, amp. I don't remember what it was, but we ended up not using it in the long run. Uh, and so I hooked all this stuff up and it sounded okay. I mean, it's, it was the best sounding stereo I'd had. Uh, I mean that I had personally ever owned, but it, it wasn't like the big boy stuff. You know what I mean? Like it was okay, but it wasn't great, you know? And I just decided, I made this choice. I was like, if I'm going to do it, let's do it. You know what I mean? Like, like, let's not, I don't want to live my whole life and say, boy, I wish I'd have done this. Or, you know, it was just almost good, but it wasn't great, you know? So I found this local stereo place. Um, I, a friend had recommended them and I went there and I was like, I want the loudest geo tracker you've ever seen. And the guy kind of laughed at me and he's like, well, what are you wanting? I was like, that's what I want. I want a, uh, you know, a custom box. I want to use the speakers. If you can, I want to use my amp. If you can, um, I want a CD player that won't skip. And, uh, that's what I want, you know? And so the guy's like, okay. And he said, uh, you know, what, what price range are we talking here? Like $500, $1,000. I said, here's my credit card. I'll be back, uh, you know, in a few days. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I basically gave these guys carte blanche, uh, you know, to rate me over the coals, which they kind of did. But, um, uh, you know, a few times they called me and they said, well, your stereo is not going to work. We need to upgrade this stereo. I'd say, okay. And then they called, well, your amp isn't really up to snuff. You know, uh, we, we need to, uh, upgrade the amp. I, okay. Whatever. You know? So at the end of the day, uh, the guy called me and my bill was, uh, $2,400. Um, <laughs> now I just want to remind you, I paid 2000 for the car. So I now have a $2,000 car with a $2,400 car stereo <laughs> inside it, you know? And so I went and picked it up and the guy played it for me and oh my goodness, it was the loudest stereo I had ever <laughs> I'm getting giddy just thinking about it because it was so awesome. Uh, and I mean, it was like unbelievably loud. And he showed me, he's like, this is turned up to, you know, three or something. Uh, it was crazy. It had a, a bass control system in the dash. It had the CD player that it was the first CD player uh, in a car I'd seen with a remote. Uh, it played MP3 CDs. I, it was, it was awesome. It was so awesome. And, uh, so I, I left there and I went to this parking lot. There was a business nearby and there were some cars, uh, but it was like, it didn't look like anybody was working there over the weekend. Just some cars had been left there. So I pulled out in this parking lot and uh, I put a CD in that I had brought and I turned it up and immediately every car alarm just started going off. Uh, so it was so loud that it was vibrating other people's cars to the point where their car alarms were going off. And I said, well, that's no good. So I drove away. And I drove up, up by the building, so I'd be real far away from where the cars were. And so I did another test. I turned it up, uh, and the building's alarm started going off. So it had actually, from my car, had shaken, I guess, the windows on the building so much that it, it thought, the building alarm thought that someone was breaking in uh, to the building. So I decided this was probably pretty like loud enough for me. <laughs> uh, so it, here's what happened over time. Number one, I had to, uh, caulk, like use caulking 
and caulked the hard top in place um, because it was vibrating too much. I also had to caulk the windows. Uh, there, there were windows on the, the hatchback or on the uh, hard top, but I had to caulk because it, they were popping out. It, it had um, just like normal windows, like with uh, oh, rubber sealant holding them in, but the windows were popping out. So I had to caulk the windows uh, in place. Then you have the entire interior of the car, especially in the rear. Like there was a, a big piece of plastic that was held in to the tailgate with little plastic brads, but it broke all those brads. And so I had to uh, refasten those in with bolts because it had vibrated that. It also started cracking the paint on the rear of the car because where the uh, spare tire was mounted was vibrating so much that it was uh, actually cracking uh, the paint on the outside of the car. Uh, it, it was loud. I mean, I don't know if I'm stressing this uh, enough, but it was a loud car stereo. One day, Andy and I were driving down the street. We were driving down Main Street in Yukon, Oklahoma, and I saw a bunch of cool cars all in a parking lot, and we pulled in, and I had no idea what it was, and they were having a car stereo competition, and they asked me if I was there to compete or to watch. I had never thought about competing. You know, I said, I, I guess I'll compete. It was 20 bucks, so I gave them 20 bucks. Uh, we got in line, and then when I got up there, they put a microphone in my car, and, and uh, you could play whatever music. You got 30 minutes or 30 seconds to play, uh, and I ended up getting second place. <laughs> I got this big, giant trophy, and we had literally just had driven by and saw this thing, you know, and so that told me that um, that this was a loud uh, car stereo. I went to a competition one time, and uh, it was like an official sponsored event. And, uh, so they had all these sponsors there and stuff and they ran my car through and I did this stuff and they made me wear earphones. They said, it's too loud to listen to. I was like, I listen to it all the time. They said, no, nah, you can't do, can't do that, brother. You got to have some headphones. So I put these headphones on and played it for 30 seconds. And it was 149.7 SPL. Now SPL is a little bit different than decibel. It's measured in a different way. It's actually the sound pressure. Um, but that is a pretty loud car stereo. You can go look um, at other car stereos and look at their SPL numbers. And uh, there weren't a lot of people that weren't getting money from, you know, car stereo companies and places that were in the, the high 140s, uh, low 150s. And it, it was a loud stereo. And I loved, I drove around, you know, I would pull up to... Uh, Oh, I'd pull up to a, a stoplight, you know, and there would be somebody next to me in a, a little Honda or something uh, or a mini truck. And they would turn, they would have their stereo going on, you know, and I would pull up and have my CD player on pause and, and uh, they would look over at you and their car would be going boom, 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 you know, like that. And I would let it go. And when it went boom, I mean, people would jump. It was so like people in other cars would jump. People in front of you would turn around, stick their heads out. Uh, I mean, it, it was just, it was too loud. It really was too loud. And something started happening uh, with my amp. It was like it was losing power. Like after a while, uh, it wasn't as loud. The stereo wasn't as loud as it had been. And I took it back to the car stereo place and I told them that and they did all these tests and they came out and they said, uh, I mean, they did an SPL uh, uh, test, you know, and it was exactly the same. And the guy finally told me, he said, it's not your stereo, it's your hearing. You are losing hearing by driving around and listening to this stereo this loudly. And he was right. And I have hearing loss to this day. Um, you know, as I get older, I... I used to be, um, I mean, it's not to the point where I need like hearing aids or whatever, but like, like at night when I lay down for sleep, I can hear that, uh, what's it called? Tinnitus or whatever. Like I can hear it in my ears all the time. And, and it always sounds like my ears are clogged up, you know? And, and when I was a kid, every concert we went to, I wanted to stand on the front row. I stood in front of huge stacks of speakers for Pantera and Slayer and Metallica and I, and Motley Crue. And I thought it was so awesome, you know? And, um, and I drove around in this car stereo thing with it cranked up to the point where it was annoying people, you know, in the other lane going the other way. <laughs> and, um, 
Uh, it was amazing. And that, and I paid the price. I mean, my ears are shot, you know, and as I get older, I'm worried about what it's going to be like when I get older now. Uh, can I say, I wish I hadn't done it. Eh, I don't know. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. Uh, anyway, uh, I, I went to, uh, one day after work, I had, um, we had a, a Suzu rodeo as well, a little SUV and, uh, Jello Biafra came to town. Jello Biafra is the old lead singer of the Dead Kennedys, and he does spoken word tours just like uh, Henry Rollins does. And he was coming to town. And so uh, I had, for some reason, I'd left the the GeoTracker in the driveway. I took the rodeo to work, and I went to see Jello Biafra. Uh, and it was a great show, and I came home at midnight, and I didn't want to shuffle the cars around. And I thought, you know, I'm going to work tomorrow morning. I'll just take the Geo. And I came out the next morning and I said, I don't remember parking in all that broken glass. And it had happened again. And uh, this one was particularly bad because, uh, you know, since I had gone from work the day before in the rodeo, I had left my laptop bag, which had my work laptop. So I got the work laptop stolen, but it was full of all my stuff, too. It had my cell phone in it. Uh, I had a Palm Pilot at the time that got stolen. Uh, I had a external CD-ROM burner that I think I paid $500 for that got stolen. It was all gone. That was all my laptop bag in that car. And then I said, I just, I all, I thought I was going to throw up and I looked at the tracker and there was broken glass and I went and it was all gone. Uh, the box was still there, but the speakers were gone. The amp was gone. The stereo was gone. Uh, and that was it. I, I mean, I just literally, you know, I called the police and I was like, I have, you know, serial numbers. I have this stuff. They wouldn't even come out. They didn't even come out to my house to take a police report. They took the report over the phone. I never saw any of that stuff ever again. Um, on, uh, uh, both cars, I had liability insurance. So my car insurance wouldn't cover any of the stuff they're not supposed to, if you have liability. And, uh, um, my home insurance wouldn't cover it because the cars were in the driveway. They said, uh, and they wouldn't cover, uh, any of the stuff that was in the rodeo because it wasn't attached to the car. Um, it seems like I did get something. No, I don't think I did. I, I mean, I couldn't, I, I don't know. <laughs> I can tell you I didn't replace it. <laughs> um, in fact, I didn't drive the geo for like six months. I just let it sit there. Um, I think it was in the summer, so it wasn't going to rain. And I just let it sit there with broken glass on the seat and broken glass on the floorboard. And, and that was it. I didn't move it. I didn't touch it. I was so mad. I couldn't even look at that car, you know, and I was mad at myself for leaving it in the driveway and not having an alarm set and all this, you know, I mean, so, so it was my fault, but, uh, uh, but that was it. You know, I, uh, I eventually sold the stereo box to a guy on Craigslist, this is one of my first Craigslist sales, and this guy emailed me. I put it on there. I think I sold the box, just the box, for like $200 with no speakers in it. And I met the guy at a gas station. I told him uh, that I'd meet him at a Walmart. Uh, no, it was a, a, a Circle K. And I said something to the effect of, hey, just for everybody's safety, I'm going to meet you at a gas station uh, because there are cameras everywhere. And the guy said, okay. And... Uh, um, Jeff went with me and Jeff, I think had just got his concealed carry license. So he, he brought his gun, uh, and the guy emailed me and said he wasn't getting off work till late. Could I meet him at 10 o'clock? And I said, yeah. And when I got there, I pulled up, you know, and, uh, and it, it was an SUV. And all I can say is it, everybody in there looked like what you would imagine gang members would look like. I mean, it was guys with hoodies, and, you know, do rags and all this stuff. And I was like, oh my, like, we're dead. You know, Jeff's like putting bullets. <laughs> He's like, here we go. We're going down, you know? And this guy came over to me. I mean, his friends were standing there and he was like, you, are you the guy with the speaker box? And I almost said, no, I was like, we should just drive off. And I said, yeah. And this guy pulled out a, just a wad of hundred dollar bills and gave me 200 bucks. And his buddies came over and picked up the box. And they, I just thought for sure Somebody was going to get shot or get killed. I've never, uh, you know, this was really before people had uh, popularized the idea of, of uh, 
safety on Craigslist. And now, uh, you know, I'd never, I don't have people come to my house. Usually I'll, I'll meet them somewhere. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was, uh, a scary transaction to say the least. But, uh, I, uh, in 2006, I bought a Chevy Avalanche truck and it came with a Bose sound system built in and the stereo was plenty loud. The speakers sound great. I've uh, I've upgraded the stereo since then because uh, I wanted something that would play Bluetooth and MP3s and stuff. The stock one didn't, but that's all I've ever done to it. I I had a um, and I have my my Subaru, my WRX uh, STI, and it came with a decent sound system too, especially when you're listening through the Bluetooth. So I, I'm I'm never going to add speakers like that to anything again. I've thought about buying a car and upgrading it, you know, uh, putting in stereo system for sound quality or maybe for a nice sounding, I mean, adding a subwoofer for good quality or something, but yeah, I, I think those days of, of having the loudest one and damaging my hearing driving around is probably, those days are probably behind me now. Um, you know, like I said, I, I, I enjoy, I re I've always loved music and I enjoy good sounding music I love good music in my car. I love being on a road trip and cranking it up and having the windows down. But uh, having a stereo loud enough uh, to annoy people in the other lane or to set off other people's car stereos, <laughs> I think those days are uh, are probably behind me. That wraps up another episode of You Don't Know Flack. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you'd like to send me feedback about this episode or any other episode of You Don't Know Flack, you can email me at robohara at robohara.com. Contact me on Twitter at Commodork. Follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash you don't know flack. That's all one word. Or leave me voicemail on the You Don't Know Flack podcast hotline at area code 405-486-YDKF. You Don't Know Flack is available from iTunes, Stitcher Radio, the You Don't Know Flack RSS feed, and through throwbacknetwork.net, your home for quality retro podcasts. If you'd like to hear more podcasts from me, check out my Commodore 64 theme podcast, Sprite Castle, at spritecastle.com, and Throwback Reviews at throwbackreviews.com. Both of these shows are also available at throwbacknetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on another episode of You Don't Know Flack.